Welcome to the ADH Deep Dive, the show that's not about ADHD, but is filled with proof it exists. My name is David J. Mund. I'm an actor, director, cinematographer, photographer, and host of the ADH Deep Dive. And this week, I'm joined by Frank Youngman. Frank is my former orchestra and jazz band teacher, and he's also the genius behind the Frank Youngman All-Stars. On this episode, I dedicate a good portion of time thanking Frank for the creative courage he instilled in me at such a young age. We also discuss Frank's former years as an educator, life after retirement, and the vice-like grip that imposter syndrome has on artists regardless of age. So thank you for joining this episode of the ADH Deep Dive. Let's dive in, shall we? All right, there's no official start to the podcast. Essentially, it's just a conversation. However, I feel like I would be remiss if I did not take a quick opportunity to get some stuff off my chest that I haven't said to you in, in quite a long time. Um, so the most important thing is, first of all, I appreciate you even doing this in the first place. Sure, you've I thought always, it'd be fun. You've always been deeply supportive of everything that I've done, and that's that's kind of what this little intro process may ultimately be for me. I feel like I've had a little bit of intimidation going into this conversation in that I don't think that you properly understand how highly people revere you or how how much people respect you, especially like some of us that have grown up being taught by you. And so there's a bit of a like weird starstruck nature that I still have when I talk to you. Oh, Lord. Even though, I know, I, I can see your head expanding right now. Yeah, no, you shouldn't at all. I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate that, David, but that's the last thing you should feel. Well, I, well that's too damn bad. Uh, I think that just about anybody, at least in my age group, who's watching this episode or listening to this episode, was probably in some way related to the band class or the jazz band class. They knew you in some regard. And Frank, you have done so much that you aren't even particularly aware of for my career in general. Um, I think that drumming alone was my first opportunity to like feel what it was like to be inspired creatively. And when you're a kid, it's a very delicate situation in that if you do not feel properly supported, you're not, A, you're not gonna continue, but B, or sorry, A, you're not gonna thrive, but B, you may not just continue at all, you may give up. Right. And to me, when I was part of your class, even though I was a rambunctious, wild child, to, there was never there was never the idea that it was worth quitting. And I think it was because you were so good at making students feel like they were talented, regardless of whether that was objectively true or not. Yeah, well. <laughs> so and that that further expands into just confidence creatively in my career, whether it's an actor or a cinematographer or a director or whatever, you were able to take kids at such a sweet spot in their life, a very delicate time in their lives. Obviously they hop into your class around middle school, very formative years. Um, and I just, yeah, I just want to start by initially thanking you. I will, I will, um, proverbially kiss the ring for the rest of this episode because again not just as a friend but I'm a deep fan of yours musically as well so I don't know I just I love you man and I thank you for everything that you've ever done for me and I know that there's a lot of a lot of people listening right now who feel the exact same way as me so uh, David thank, thank you. you you're welcome and thank you that's it's hard to express how much 
when a former student expresses what you mean to them. I mean, I, I could get real choked up when I talk about it because it because most of us spend our life wondering if they've made a difference. Right. You know? I mean, that's that's sort of and, and I still feel that. I mean, it's like, wow. I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I do. I uh, yeah, it, it, it means a lot. Well, I, I think particularly now, too, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about retirement and how that kind of came into your life. But I think right now, especially that feeling that you feel when you get some sort of validation from your students is something that a lot of teachers are lacking right now, because it must be the most insane time to be a teacher right now. I can't I can't even imagine. I, I really can't. Um, I mean, for, on so many levels, you know. Mm -hmm. If you even took the pandemic out of this, the equation, yep, um, I, I still can't imagine. I mean, uh, teachers, uh, they graduate from college with a target on their chest. Yep. Culturally and politically, teachers and schools have always been about the easiest thing to lay blame on. Yeah. Something doesn't go right. Um, you know, Schools are the closest thing that people have to feeling like they could directly influence. Correct. Like in a millage vote or, you know, they can go to their school board and they know the people sitting behind that table mm -hmm. and they don't know the people in Lansing or the people in DC, but, and their local school board. So schools are, yeah, it's, I don't know where it's going to go. I I'm, I'm worried for the future of public education. That's for sure. Well, I, I, Honestly, not to a doomist degree, but like, it's not even so much where it's going to go. It's where it's going right now. There are massive dropouts, like, or massive resignations of oh, teachers yeah. who are just, and so obviously the people who don't understand the opposite argument is, well, these teachers just don't get it. It's always been hard and they're dropping because they're cowards and whatever. It's like, no, no, no. They're not, A, first of all, when's the last time teachers wages on, or on average nationally went up? Like the wages have stayed so stagnant and the climate is just so hot right now. Yeah. It, it's got to be so stressful. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I don't know how they're doing it. And, and I suspect, yeah, I mean, they're dropping like flies mm -hmm. uh, emotionally and mentally. Uh, teachers are, are under attack. And I, I have a hard time picturing a lot of them finishing their careers in education. Yeah, stress is just so high. So obviously the pandemic is a wild, out of the blue situation. But something that you, I guess, had some uh, familiarity with was how, what was it like being a teacher on 9-11? I mean, what, like, was that, is that a, me I mean, of course it's memorable, but like, that was the last terrifying national situation. It was very difficult. I, I remember exactly where I was when when all that just like you know it's sort of like uh when John F Kennedy was shot I remember you know mm -hmm. I was in fourth grade and they sat us all down and I flashed on that immediately when it happened because I thought okay I have to help these kids understand something that I don't understand right and, and not even understand it so much as like how can I create this safe space I mean and that to me has been probably the most underlying tenet of my teaching career at least was when someone walked in my room I wanted them to feel safe yeah I wanted to feel that they were in a safe space that they could 
become who they are, be who they are, become who they are. And uh, so that was very challenging because uh, we were all just, well, it was similar to when the pandemic shutdown happened. I mean, it was like, I, there was many times I just felt like curling up in a fetal position and, right. and just hoping it would go away. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's, those moments are, are tough. They're really I've, I've heard other teachers describe that particular moment, obviously 9-11 being like, yeah, there was the initial terrifying shock that like, are we going to get hit again? Like, is this going to happen around the country? But yeah, that exact conversation you described where you have to sort of explain to the kids what's happening when you don't even really know yourself. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is just like many things. The responsibility is not to explain too much, but to listen. Yeah. Uh, and just give them a space to to say what they're feeling and mm -hmm. and and. I mean, it's like when you have to deal with a death with kids, you know, a, of a classmate or a teacher or a parent yeah. or something, you know, uh, just to listen, just to be there. How, I'm sure that being a parent and a grandparent, of course, goes into that. There's some intuition, but there's some separation between how a teacher interacts with kids and how someone who's directly related by family interacts with kids. Yes, there's the comforting nature of like trying to make sure that your room is a safe space. But when you have sort of the opposite, when you have the quote problem child who's making it difficult for everyone to exist and to thrive, or if you have a bully, you know, how do you as an adult look at a kid and not have this you little shit attitude? Like how do you see them for the struggles that they're dealing with at home? Well, first of all, sometimes you do feel like you little shit. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, you do. It, it's just, it doesn't mean you write them off, but you'd sort of acknowledge mm -hmm. you're being a little shit right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you said those exact words verbatim to my face. Well, it, it's possible. <laughs> um, you know, to me, I mean, one of the th things I've heard kids say to me uh, as adults now is that they, I was honest with them. Oh yeah. And, and I always, I, I didn't realize that till many years later. I mean, I did because I was honest with them, but I didn't realize to them how important that was. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't mean, because you can be honest and not write them off. I mean, sure. you can see a little turd, you know, here's what you're doing and here's how it's impacting people. Um, and, and then you just hang in there with them. I, I, I'm the first to recognize, because I think that's the only way I can help move forward with someone is, is to try to recognize their struggles and the hurts that they've had. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was, wasn't, it was many years into my career when instead of saying like, why'd you do that? You know, or what were you thinking that I would just say, who hurt you? You know, and not looking for the who so much as what is the hurt that's causing you to do this? What 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 is it? Because if we can recognize that, we can move forward. There's a chance of moving forward if you can recognize that, and if I can recognize that. Um, I I think that is almost exactly what I was talking about at the start too. Is that like it really felt? And you know, as a kid, 
when you're in school, it's impossible to recognize that your teacher has some sort of empathy or to see your teacher as a human. At, in, at the time, they're just, you know, your boss before you have a boss and you're just a drag on my day and I just want to be here to fuck around with my friends. Right. However, there's definitely some truth to that. When you walk into your classroom, it was a totally different space. And I know that it's, it has a lot to do with the fact that it was not an extracurricular, but what's the, the, the phrase? It wasn't a... Or is it an extracurricular? Yeah, it's, yeah co-curricular. It, co-curricular or an elective. It was an elective. Was an, an elective class. Just <laughs> just being being in a space where it was like, okay, I have some sort of agency here. It allowed everyone in that room to feel like we were kind of equals. Because like, yes, when you're in a classroom setting, there's like a natural competitiveness. Like you want to be the smart kid or you want to be the kid to get it first. But when in band... It's like, I've got my little squad of percussionists over here, and we've got flute players and other wind instruments over here and brass over here. So you felt like you were seen there in a different way. And then by having someone at the top who kind of led the group with a level of empathy that it's just like, this guy's not here to grade me. Like he's not here to judge my behavior in class. I get to have moments where I stand out. Um, yeah, you get to really flex your creative muscles in there. And if if that class was taught by someone who just didn't care, you know, obviously there's a different outcome. If it's a curriculum thing where it's like, I just have to get the kids in and I have to teach them this part of the book. You can sense that as a kid, even when you're a kid, like this person doesn't care about me. They care about their job. And we could always sense that you cared about us. And that was huge for us, you know. I hope so. Yeah, I, that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that is the most, one of the most important things, is the connection, mm -hmm. and I, I've always felt that that kids they need to belong to something. Yeah. And uh, whether it's band or sports or the photography club or whatever, they needed to feel like they were an important part of something, and band certainly can make that is a good one to do that with because mm -hmm. they belong to the band but they also are they're the percussionists they have a group within a group you know that that they belong to um yeah and, and i mean that's why i like to just stand at the door and greet everybody when they came in so that i could get a sense of where they were that day was it a right. good day bad day were they were they gonna need a little extra attention um or, you know, some time um, to be recognized and acknowledged. Sure. Uh, and that's hard sometimes, especially in a large class like that. You know, you got and, 80, 90 kids in there. It's, it's you right. know, there, there are there are people I know that went through and maybe don't feel the way you did. You know, that I, I mean, I tried, but sometimes it's not easy to, to make that connection and some put up a lot of walls for it. I mean, um, but yeah. I have to imagine there's... At least upon reflection, there's some recognition in you, though, that like the ones you couldn't get to, there may have just ultimately been no getting to them, right? Well, sure. I mean, you know, you can only do what you can do, mm -hmm. and and hopefully that your effort was honest and and fully engaged as best you could at that time. And and of course, you're dealing with your own you know, you're coming in as a human every day with your own emotional baggage and sure. mental and physical baggage and, you know, what happened just before you left the house or what happened, you know, down the hall a ways. Um, but 
yeah, you just try to bring yourself as fully as you can and, and be prepared to give yourself some forgiveness. I imagine a healthy dose of forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, it's the, the effort has to be honest. If you've got the, if you, you know, my wife and I often say we're responsible for the effort, not the outcome. Yeah. You know, if I put the effort in, I may not reach that kid, but I've done what I could. And maybe next time around, I could try a different tact uh, or understand more about them or taking more time. But if I put an honest effort in, I feel like, you know, for the most part, it's like I did what I could do. Um, and I, I think there's an effort or an, an element of just that, you know, you can control only what you can control or focus on only what you can control. And especially with kids, I hope that there's some sort of, yeah, like I said, healthy dose of forgiveness in that we all did at least age up. I was going to say we all grew up. Some of them have not grown up. Somebody, some people never grow up. But like, I imagine there's a majority of people, whether they liked you or not, can reflect and say, well, at least Frank was one of the good ones, you know, like whether they hated school or not objectively, right. I don't think anybody saw you as the dick teacher, you know? Right. I mean, I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I saw you as a couple of times, but. Yeah, that's possible. And, yeah. and that's honest. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I sometimes I saw myself as that. Well, honestly, so so I, I I think it's fine to say the names as well because I've actually I'm actually good friends with one of them as well now. But I remember one of the most like I don't know we can call it badass things that you ever did was or that I saw that you did is I was um, uh -oh. no it was good it was good it was good it okay. was it was just it was just sort of your like it, it's sort of me validating you saying that like you did literally everything that you could to make everyone feel safe in that class. In that, so it was the it was the first year I had joined jazz band, which meant that it was the first year I didn't do football, um, and it was there was an argument. I'll I'll beep the names for the podcast, but again, we're all friendly with each other. Um, uh, it was me and we're all arguing about something in class before you had showed up, and when you had walked through the door, had said something to me saying something along the lines of like, uh, I'm standing up for because he's my football buddy. And you walked through the door and said something along the lines of like, I know I'm only just picking up on this here, but you could be in football, you could be in uh, baseball, you could be in whatever. Right now you're in band class and we work together as a class, as a group. Like there are no clicks in this class right now. Yeah. And I just I just thought that was kind of cool that like you didn't necessarily pick a side, but you said like, I don't care what little beef you guys have going on right now. It stops in here because we have more important things to to yeah. go through together as a as a group. Yeah, well, I think that's important. I mean, you know, especially in band. I mean, you've got leaders, you got people who sat and played third clarinet. Um you got people who played every other note, you know, I mean, it, yep. but they were part of this thing. And, and like I said earlier, everybody needs to be part to feel like an important cog uh, yeah. in the wheel. And so when we come in here, let's try to do that. Um, um, speaking of cogs and machines, um, we're gonna, we're gonna take this a little bit linearly. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of back everything, everything up, kind of the origin of how you even started becoming a teacher, but maybe you already know where I'm headed. I 
you have a, a fascinating story um, behind your abilities as a musicianship or as a musician. And it's that you do it with about 60% of your fingers. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> so co cogs and machines. Uh, could you kind of talk about, well, first of all, for the, vi for the video watchers, listeners, yeah. You got, you got a couple of nubs there. Yeah, yeah. What's no, up, what it, happened? Well, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And I think it's one, of, it's weird to say, but I think it's in some ways, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Oh, it's a character trait. Um, well, it created some, I, I started playing piano. Music was important in my family. My dad belonged to the Columbia Record Club. We get a new LP every week, you know, and I would sit down and, and there was always, he loved playing records, you know, albums uh, of all sorts. You know, I grew up with Henry Mancini and Al Hurt, the trumpet player, and my brother played trumpet. He was a great inspiration to me, six years older than I am. And, and so <clears throat> um, I started playing piano when I was in second grade, because I asked to. And, um, and then in fifth grade, I started playing the cornet and, and we had a, in West Virginia, where I grew up, <clears throat> we had a very revered um, music program with one of the great directors in the whole East Coast. Um, so it was something that, you know, to be, to aspire to there. And I moved to Michigan and continued. I, you know, band was the first place I made friends in middle school when I moved up here. Oh, I didn't know you went to school up in Michigan. Well, I, I grew up in West Virginia and I moved to, to Michigan, Cutlerville, actually. Okay. Um, which was a whole other, we could spend a whole hour talking about that. <laughs> um, but um, so I continued, you know, I went to Kentwood High, you know, Kentwood schools. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was 16, I was play still playing piano, you know, pretty seriously. Um, I, I was playing trumpet and the band, I had great band directors. And um, I had an accident with a lawnmower. Uh, my hand got pulled into the lawnmower um, and was a mess. Uh, I was, you know. Uh, so a quick thing, sorry to interrupt. I think you're burying the lead here. How does the accident happen? Like, do, are you reaching, are you like working on it mechanically? Are you? It, it, I was cutting the neighbor. I'd, I, I played tennis in high school. That was my one big sport. And I'd spent the day at a tennis tournament all day, came home early, was cutting the neighbor's grass. Uh, they had a bunch of kids and there was some toys and parts of toys in the yard. There was a metal ah. rod about that long that got caught in the chute. And this is back in the days when there was no protective plastic ah. thing out mm -hmm. there. You know, the, the blade was a good three inches, two, three inches from the edge of the mower. I reached down to pull it oh, out. No, no. Yeah, no. I reached down to pull it out. Uh, unbeknownst to me, there was a hook on the other end of it and it got caught on the blade and my hand oh. just shot in real quick. Yeah, it, it was not a clean cut. It was just a mess. My mother, um, my neighbor took me to the to my house you know, with a towel I just wrapped around it. And uh, my mother, I had to get in the back seat because my mother had passed out at the sight of blood. And she drove me to the hospital. <laughs> no. And they sewed it up, and uh, there were t there were two interesting things. One is my brother called me that night, and I was you know sorry about the accident. He said, "But 
you can't get drafted now. Hey, which was the first thing, the best thing that ever happened. The first thing he said to me, he said, you only had to do one. Uh, (laughs) And, and because it was in the middle of the draft and the war and, and, um, you know, he knew all the medical exemptions to get out of it. And so that was, that I always, we laugh about that. And then I called my piano teacher and I, I said, Oh, I'm not going to be able to take piano anymore. I was feeling sorry. And she was so great. Uh, she was an elderly woman and she just, the only time I ever heard, heard her swear, she said, you get your ass over here. You're not quitting. Sweet. And so I would go over there with my hand all bandaged up and we just, for weeks, I just played right hand. And then as it started to heal, she would make me tap the, keep the rhythm on the keyboard, just tapping it. Cause every time you touched it, it was just like electric shock through your body. It, it hurt. Mm-hmm. But she, you know, she was like, you got to start toughening that up. And, and she, she kept me going and I kept, I kept playing. Um, you know, that was like I was 16. I auditioned at Michigan state, um, for the band on trumpet and to be a piano major. Um, I got, and I was accepted. And, but then when I got there, they saw my hand and they, they really kind of, I was, I was not a good student to begin with, uh, a music student. Um, I mean, I loved music and I wanted to play, but I didn't, uh, I felt like I wasn't supported with my hand. You know, I would do my jury every year at the end of the year and they'd, I'd pass, but then they'd sort of like, well, what do you think you're going to do with this? And I'd say, well, I hope I just keep getting better. You know, I'm not going to be a performance major. I'm not, but I didn't really know what I was going to be. I, I went into music school because I didn't know anything else. And that was just sort of like, oh, you're, you're going to go into music, aren't you? And well, yeah. And I got there and I, I lasted three years in the music program at Michigan State. And at that same time, I was discovering a lot of other music, um, traditional music, folk music, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I always had played old jazz type stuff, Dixieland and mm-hmm. 30s and 40s. In high school, I had a band. Uh, we had a big band, like a Glenn Miller band, uh, with some guys from Forest Hills. Um, well, the first band I started with there was, they were all in college and I was 15. Oh, hanging out with the big boys. My buddy's brother was the drummer in it. <clears throat> and they were a really good band called the Royal Airs. And it was, you know, the, the stands with the lights and the emblem on the front and you know, it was a 15 piece band, five saxes, rhythm section, you know, um, like the Glenn Miller, the old big bands. And so I learned that music there. Um, and then they all graduated, they were going to Western and they all graduated and the band broke up and I knew this guy and we said, well, let's start our own band. We got all these gigs, you know, they've got all, they, they basically played the country club circuit in Grand Rapids, you know, which was big back then they, they would pay for a 15 piece band you know, for their dances. So we played every weekend, you know, at all the country clubs around Grand Rapids. Um, And so we started our own band. We bought their book. They had probably 300 charts, original charts of, you know, the Glenn Miller and uh, all those, Artie Shaw, those big band charts. And um, we had our own band called the Formulaires. And the drummer, uh, his dad and grandpa owned a tuxedo rental and dry cleaner in Grand Rapids. Affendulas tuxedo rental and dry cleaner. And they were 
had numerous businesses around town. So he outfitted us all in last year's tuxes. Nice. So we were a very formal looking band. We were all in high school and we played that for years. When, and one of the coolest things, there was a guy that lived in Grand Rapids, worked at the post office, single guy, probably in his sixties, who used to play with Glenn Miller. Oh, wow. And so he came every Tuesday night. We rehearsed at my buddy's house um, and down in the basement. And he would come every Tuesday and work with us. And he was quite strict and not, not really fun. But he was really good. He knew this stuff and, and he kept us in line and really taught us like the style, you know, how to play this stuff. He never came to a gig to hear us, not once. Uh, just taught it and hands he just off. came on Tuesday nights. It was his, his chance to come and try to impart what knowledge he had. Sid That's Stelma cool. was his name. I'll, I'll always remember him. That's cool. And I kept that, we kept that band going well into college. Uh, probably the first two years of college, I was driving back and forth a lot of weekends to play gigs. Um, but at that time too, it was about when I, uh, dis won't discover, say discovered, but <clears throat> got more interested in like folk music, <clears throat> traditional music, guitars, banjos, fiddles. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was learning to play upright bass at that point. And, um, yeah, and I went in school, uh, and East Lansing was quite a thriving acoustic music scene at the point that was just sort of exploding there. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a music store that started Elderly Instruments, which was sort of the ground zero of it. And um, yeah, after three years in music school, I dropped out. I, I quit music school. I didn't see what I was going to do. I didn't want to be a band director. That was the last thing I wanted to be. Interesting. Uh, I was a music theory major. I was a music... Uh, let's see, a, uh, a music therapy major for a while, just because I had to declare something. Well, I actually want to, I want to pick up on that there actually, because you're starting to talk about how you're exploring other instruments as well. How do, at, at what point did you feel, I, I know we'll get to the teaching stuff, but at what point did you feel proficient enough throughout all major instruments to feel like you knew how to teach that? <laughs> is that a, that's a good question is that loaded uh, uh, let me step back first sure <clears throat> one thing back to the hand thing oh yeah yeah and why i why i say it, it was probably in retrospect i can say how important it was is i tried to play guitar once when i was about 15 my brother had a guitar and he was playing you know he'd grown up peter paul and mary and the kingston trio we had all this stuff in the house and I wanted to play guitar and I, and things came pretty quickly to me, but guitar didn't. It was just like, I wasn't going to be good quick. And I realized it right away and I quit. I gave it up. And when I was in college about my third year, a buddy of mine said, come on. He says, I'm doing this after school volunteering in these inner city schools in Lansing. Why don't you come and we'll, you know, come down. We just play with the kids and do stuff with them. And so I went with him and at some point in that, when I was there, I went, man, if I knew like three chords on the guitar, we could sing like a thousand songs. Mm -hmm. I knew that. And I would, I like to sing and I'd like to have, play music with kids. So in terms of learning something, when I was younger, I had this goal that was way out there and, and that was to be good, you know, to pick this up and be able to just play. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen because I, you know, I wasn't very good on the rigor end of things, you know, like the discipline and what it takes sure. to get really good at something. 
um, it takes time and discipline and, and passion. A, yeah. And passion. I had the passion. I had the time discipline, not so much. All right. Um, but when I wanted to play guitar with these kids, I, I moved that goal from way out there, like to right here, hmm. three chords. Yeah. All he needs three chords, three chords and a capo and I'm good. And so for me, in terms of moving that goal in closer, I could attain it. Yep. And then once I learned three chords, I bet I could learn another one. Yep. And pretty soon I'm not thinking about, I bet I can learn another one. I'm just learning another one. And it's, it's, we have the discussion here a lot. It's process versus product. You know, um, I, I like the process of playing. I like the process of learning and, and, and not as worried about the product. You know, as long as I know my capabilities at the time and play within them, I can be good and not be like a great musician. I can, I can do what needs to be done. I can see this, the scene, musical scene and go, I don't need to do a lot here to really contribute to this. You know, I don't have to be a virtuosic player. Um, I've never been, I'm a good musician because it's a, a total thing to me. I mean, I think I'll, I'll say I'm a good musician only a, I, I understand the big picture and, and how I can fit in and cause I want to fit in. I want to play. I want to interact to me. Music for me, it's about playing with other people. It's about okay. that conversation and that the joy of it. So I don't know if that answered your question. Well, or not, just but. in in particular, though, like when, so of course you're going through this learning phase of, I can learn three, maybe I can learn four, maybe I can learn five, but I'm also sensing something in your voice here that maybe I've never picked up on. In that, like, do you do you not necessarily see yourself as, like, it's it sounded like there was some hesitancy in you saying that you are a good musician. Oh yeah. <clears throat> oh, most definitely. I, I, I use the example. Um, it's only been in the last five years that if someone says, what do you do? And, you know, musically, I'll, I'll say, well, I play this, this, and I'm a singer. Interesting. And, and that was, I mean, I, I honestly never said that until just the last few years when I finally owned it. And this is after people for years saying, I, I love your singing or I, you know, sure. I could get a lot of affirmation for it, but I never felt like, no, I can't say I'm a singer. I know singers. I know really good singers, you know? Um, and it's the same, it, it, it's the same with all of it. I mean, I, I, I uh, yeah, it, it was hard for me to say I'm a good musician Frank, just then. Frank, how, how old are you? 68. And uh, there's no way that you could know this. I'm sure that if you listen to my conversation with Zach that you heard it come up, but one of the running themes on this podcast so far has been a conversation centered around imposter syndrome. Are you familiar with the term? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's no, I, oh, I've lived my life feeling that way. That is in, that is so, and of course this humanizes <laughs> you on a totally other level. And uh, of course, again, with this reverence that you have for someone when you're a kid and you grow up knowing right. them as whatever it's so you can't see past that. It's, I hate to burst your bubble here. <laughs> are you human? Are you telling me you're capable of feeling no, emotions? No, I'm, I'm too? telling you, I, when when I started teaching the band thing, people, I would tell people, I said, I'm teaching a bunch of kids to do things that I can't do. Wow. 
I mean, well, I can't play flute. I can't play sax. I could get a characteristic tone on them. Yeah. Um, but to me, I felt like, okay, I have places to go to find out how to do this. Mm-hmm. I have fingering charts. I have, you know, I, I could play music, but in college, I never had any of the pedagogy classes for clarinet, flute, trump, you know, the, the low brass instruments, sax. I never had any of those. I took a string bass class one time just because I wanted to improve my own playing. Uh, you know, so, and I, and I, like I said, I was not, no plans to be a band director in college. So you, and, and I, and, and I felt like a real imposter and, and, and when I would, I came into a band directors are a funny group and I came into, you know, the local district of all the band directors and, and, and I felt it immediately. I'm an imposter. You people have spent your lives studying this and I'm coming in and, and there were a few that that recognized that and took me in and were really helpful. And many just kind of like kept me on the edge. You know, I, I was not one of them. And so it was real easy to feel an imposter syndrome. But that's, uh, again, very maybe it's humbling to know that because uh, this podcast, again, is becoming some sort of space where just people can validate it in their people can feel validated in their creative pursuits, whether that you know, because I've had musicians on, I've had actors, I've had uh, comic book artists, I've had just people across <clears throat> the spectrum. So that, but again, the one constant has been all of us feel like frauds, apparently. And oh yeah, no. Some people are really I, I good at masking that. Well, uh, good at masking it, and it also is somewhat of a um, a motivator. You know, I, I always laugh, uh, not laugh. I, I've always had. When people say, "Oh, I was a good teacher," I never felt like I was a good teacher at, wow. at some at some level uh, because I didn't. I wasn't good at planning. I wasn't good at you know. It was like more like, "Wow, there's something interesting. Let's put everything we're doing aside and let's just because it's." It, Curious. I, I mean, I always say the most important thing to me was curiosity, and it still is. And if you're curious about something, I can help set the stage for you to learn about it, and, and I can help manipulate the environment and give you stimulus. But I might not be good at, at like making the test that makes sure you know all the facts of this or that or the processes for math or, um, it, yeah. It, I think yeah. I think one of the things that it goes underappreciated about that gig though, was like where most teachers, let's say you were, which we'll actually pick up on this. You taught before uh, teaching band, correct? You taught a different, or was this just substitute? I I started, I'll tell you real briefly. I started um, teaching fourth grade in a Catholic school. That's what it was. And, and, and the funny thing was I, every, I had the most, non-conventional career probably there is i can say that um my teaching certificate had lapsed because when i got out of college i just wanted to play music that's what i was doing and i was making money doing it living very cheaply um moved up here to to buy cattle like lake city was living in a barn and uh a friend of ours, a friend of my wife said, hey, there's an opening at St. Anne's, the, the Catholic school in town. 
they need a fourth grade teacher. And I went, oh, my certificate's lapsed. But I went in and uh, hit it off with them. And they said, well, no problem. We're a Catholic school. We can hire you without, you know, you'll need to get it brought up to date. Well, part, pardon no. my ignorance. Do you need to be a Catholic to teach at a Catholic school? No, 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 I, I not at all. Uh, I, I was. I was going to say, know, you, I, I didn't sense the Catholicism running through your veins. I didn't. I didn't grow up Catholic. <laughs> uh, um, I grew up as a Presbyterian, um, but I, I hit it off with them. Um, in fact, I just got a message from the principal that hired me yesterday. No kidding. Um, yeah, she lives, uh, Sister Rita, uh, one of the dearest right. people I've ever met. Um, I could tell you story after story with her and I. But so I taught there for fourth in fourth grade for seven years and then financially realized I couldn't keep doing it because it was my first, my first contract was for $8,000. So, um, Whoa. it was, you know, and you could certainly, my wife was working, she was making yeah, but four still. times as much as me, but, yeah. um, then I moved to Lake city or well, right there, I, sorry, right there, that gap. Now, so at that time, rather than just teaching a specific uh, curriculum, or rather than teaching band in general, you're was, teaching all of it. Except I didn't, they wouldn't let me, and I told them, I said, you don't want me teaching the re religion. <laughs> That's probably for the best. And so, yeah, no, and we, and we laughed about it. I mean, they knew, we, we had, they were very open about all this, and I was too. Uh, so Sister Rita Mary, who taught sixth grade, she and I would switch. She hated teaching math. Okay. And so she'd come and teach my religion class and I would teach math. But, uh, so was it just yeah. for the, was it just for the job of it that you're like, well, I did, I do have some sort of education for this. I might as well just take the job or what, what like, well, I had, I had a degree in elementary education, Yeah, but the, that's, so, what, that's what I finished my degree in. Why, what was it? Was it very clear to you then that, because you said that you had no, no inkling that you were going to be an educator or was that just about band or was that? Well, it started out as band and really in college, I didn't really know what I was going to do. Who um, does? You know, I mean, right. Who does? And, and fortunately at that point you could afford to take some classes to see what you liked. Yeah. I mean, I've always said the first two years of college ought to be just like a chance to take that sociology course, take that, science course, take that phys ed course to see and see if something clicks. You know, I, I like psychology and sociology stuff I considered. And then when I started working in that after school program, uh, with my friend, I'd, I, I said, I love working with kids, which I always did. I always knew that. And so I thought, you know, I could be an elementary teacher. I like that. You know, at, at, at the time it seemed pretty free and open, you know, pretty exploratory. It was, there was a lot of progressive stuff going on in education at the time. Michigan State had some very progressive ed profs. Um, so I took an extra year in the summer. You know, it took me five years, a little over five, to get my degree. Um, and so, I, yeah, I got my elementary ed degree and started teaching. In, and then I didn't use it for eight years or so. Hmm. Um, I mean, I subbed, you know, to make some, you know, just when I needed some money, I could I was a regular sub at, at Waverly Schools, uh, west of Lansing, but but that allowed me to play music, and and pick and choose the days I worked doing that. So when the when the Lake City gig opens up, how how does your transition to that school work? Like, <laughs> well, like I said, I knew I needed uh, needed to make some more money, yeah. And we had a a baby coming along, 
Um, and so um, and then our baby was born and then I got the job. Our baby was born with severe uh, physical um, condition mm -hmm. and I got the job and within a month after getting the job, our baby passed away. Um, and they were just, they just wrapped me up in their arms, wrapped us up in their arms. And it was just, uh, a very special time. Uh, I really connected. I still stay connected with those students, you know, and that's 49, many of them, they're, they're turning, they're late forties and fifties mm -hmm. now. Um, and so I, that was, I, I love teaching there. It was just so, it was so wonderful, but I, I needed to make more money. Um, and I knew I had done some work in Lake city. I'd subbed there a few times. Um, and Roger Moore was the principal and I called him and he said, man, we'd love to have you. We got an opening. And so I went out and uh, got the fifth grade job. And so I taught fifth grade for eight years there. So I spent the first half of my career teaching elementary and that's all subjects. I mean, was there a music educator there? Yes, there was, yeah. um, there was a longtime band director there um, for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then there was a new person who'd come in and th they had, while I was just down the hall, cause the height, the band was right down the hall from the elementary. And uh, the person tried to change too much too fast and was really struggling. It was, you know, and she's great. And I still see her today. And, um, and, but she struggled and, and really got sick, um, you know, and, and sort of dropped out of the scene. And there was nobody, there was a sub down there, a non-music sub in the band class. And I'd walk by every day and it was just a disaster. And finally I said to my principal or whoever, I said, you know, bring the sub down to my class at the end of the day. I'll go down and at least get those kids playing. They need to be playing those instruments instead of throwing them around the room. I mean, it was... You know, there was a pretty solid band program and it was just going down the hill. When I took over, there was 30 some kids left in the high school band. Wow. Because um, they were just, and people were going, I'm paying money for an instrument and there's nobody there to teach them and they couldn't find anybody. So I started doing just the end of the day, you know, I, I can wave my arms around and, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and I did that. And then I said, well, how about at noon, you know, bring them up, bring them the sub down and before lunch, I can go over to the middle school and get those kids playing. And so this and just is where tried the, to get them. this is where the traveling to did the different schools started. Yeah. Well, I had to okay. go back and forth between, which was only, you know, three blocks away. Yeah. Um, and then I did that for like a month or so. And probably the end of November, they said, do you want to keep doing this? Hmm. And, and at that point in my elementary career, what I saw coming down the pike in terms of, testing and curriculum and glicks and all these little check points you had to check off were not in my wheelhouse at all. I mean, I, that is, I, it was just not my strength. You, you mean when the DeVos family started getting involved in Michigan education? Well, I mean, we, you know, we, we could go on. It probably, it's probably pre-DeVos. Um, a Nation at Risk was a big report sure. that came out. And so everything, every, everything had to be data and quantified. And, and to me, my success as a teacher was teaching curiosity. I could, I mean, curriculum at that point was some book that we knew existed 
and we thought it was in the principal's office up on the shelf. And the curriculum was the books that we had, the textbooks that we chose, and whatever you wanted to teach. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, I would throw curriculum aside for weeks to do something that I thought was just like really cool. Yeah. And the kids were into, you know, puppets. We made puppets. Is, I was really big in, in puppets. Which is I cool. As were, a, I, I do remember. Okay. I do remember this. You, I, I don't you think you were. No, you told a lot of, I just remember a lot of stories that you told about, this is why I remember you being an educator before, because you're always my band teacher. I didn't know anything about, I never had right. you as a teacher or whatever, but these are the types of things that you feel like, I don't know, you feel kind of part of the group when you're in your class too, because you would tell us these stories about how you got involved in education and how all these, like how yeah. your musical career started, where other teachers, it's like, all right, everybody walk into class, open a page 39, we're going to work on this. Yeah, I, I was, I was a lot less um, interested in trying to make sure everybody had the check marks next to whether they knew this or that. Yeah. Then if like, they were curious and could get excited about learning. Cause I've, I, I've always felt like if you can get someone to ex excite, to be excited about learning, when they find out what excites them, get out of the way. Yep. Because most of the things any of us do are because we got interested in it at some point mm -hmm. and we started searching, searching out who could teach us that, where are the resources to learn about this? What can I do? Cause this is really cool. You know, um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, I did, I put, it, when I was teaching fifth grade, we did this whole puppet thing, like I said, and we'd spend weeks and the whole afternoon bringing in grandmoms and with their sewing machines and, you know, making these Muppet type puppets. I mean, they were quite extensive, you know, with foam and hot glue guns and burning ourselves and, cool. and, and then we would use them for the rest of the year, like all the time you know like if you had to answer a question in math you know you'd you'd let your puppet answer because cool. he could be wrong you know if, <laughs> if he's wrong oh you stupid idiot you know <laughs> that's cool why did you think that uh, i i don't know there was just something about it clicked i got a message yesterday from someone that that they're in their 40s now they said i still have my puppet <laughs> oh my gosh i imagine uh, I, would, I wouldn't get rid of that kind of thing here's a funny story uh, real quick about those so I was standing in the Wesco once in the south end of Lake City going mm -hmm. home. And a former student I had who was one of the scarier students that I liked. <laughs> That's a funny I mean, sentence, Sarah. One of the well, scarier students I, I, that I liked. I use that phrase quite often because there are people that are scary or oh, they're yeah. ultra-religious or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'll say, yeah, that's the most religious person I love. <laughs> uh, you know. It's a qualifier. Because I think you can. But yeah. anyway, so this, this, the door opens behind me and it was a different setup in the store then. And I kind of turned around and this person's got their hand all wrapped up in a, like a, a blood soaked rag. And, and immediately I'm thinking, oh no, we're, 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 I'm done. We're going to be robbed or, I mean, I was really scared. Yeah. You know, and I'm just going, just pay, pay, get your muffin and get out of here, right. Frank. And, and this is when Wesco was that dingy little, like, tiny yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. There's no way and, to run. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, and he, all of a sudden I hear, Mr. Youngman. <laughs> and I turned, and of course it was a former student whose name I won't say. And, and I said, hey, and I said his name, and, 
I said, man, what's going on? He said, well, I just got out of jail this morning and I got in a fight. And I mean, he just told this, but, but, but he immediately went, I still have my puppet. <laughs> I'm going to put it and, on to cover this wound. Well, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, your puppet's going to be bloodstained in a while. And, <laughs> and in some ways I thought, well, that's not a success story. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but, but it also made me realize, I mean, this particular person had never had a childhood, you know, and here he was as an adult and still still clinging to those moments that gave him some little brief insight into being a child. Yeah. Um, because I knew his, his life story and it was grim and he, he never, he never had a childhood. And I, I think for people like that, it's really important to be able to take them back to that and sort of bring them back through it again, you know, like to be a child, to be curious, to, to not be hurt, to feel safe. And, you know, I, I don't know. That's that story's always stuck with me just because it was just so absurd. Well, I think he blew it out here. He's bleeding to death and just got out of jail. And the only thing he wants to tell me is he still has his puppet. But 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 again, uh, of course, it's it's funny because of the puppet of it all. But there is some real truth to that. Like you, you know, whether and I'm sorry if your capacity for accepting compliments isn't very high. I get I get very uneasy about it. But I, That's all right. No, I, I, I just, I just mean in general that like, that is probably a lot of people's stories with you in general. I know in particular that like, you know, for what it's worth, I love my parents and they're very supportive of me now, but growing up, I was bouncing back and forth every week between divorced parents household, you know, right. and there's no stability there. And when your parents are fighting and arguing every week, it's like, I just want to go someplace where like I'm around my friends, where I feel accepted, where I'm doing something I care about. And when families are kind of fighting, there's not a lot of time for nurturing their kids. And you're dealing with kids. I mean, what? I We pop into the band uh, class at sixth grade, fifth grade? You know, sixth grade, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're kids finally starting to realize that there is a world around us and we've got to just have one hour out of the day where we can just have fun and like, and again, nourish those passion or nurture those passions. Um, because otherwise we're just kids going to work for eight hours a day. Right. And, you know, right. I believe in the value of public education. Obviously I believe that kids should be going to school for those eight hours out of the day, but like, it shouldn't be all about ACT or LSAT scores or anything like that. It should be about growth and human development and human connection and you know like <laughs> having i know that you introduced you said that music you like enjoying it as like a conversation that you like collaborating with people but in that class it was quite literally a conversation where the brass section would pop up here then the drums would come up here and then everybody would work together um which is actually uh kind of funny one of the things that i still hold on to is when I'm counting, when I'm drumming, is I'm always counting my one e enda, two e enda, which was a thing that you, I, I'm sure all band or most band teachers introduced that as a concept. But you'd be so surprised how many people who are very talented musicians, but who never had formal training in school, learn completely differently. They're very self-taught. So counting isn't really a part of it. So it feels kind of <coughs> cool 
in my late 20s to be explaining time signatures to people or like right. helping them count and like, all right, it's on the end of three, like helping them find that, like, because it's just stuff that we got to learn that we didn't really realize we were storing away for life. It was just like, it's just another class, but it's so right. different because it's creative rather than yeah. strictly educational. So right. I think you had a cool- And it, it also, it also, I think if I mean, it, the subdividing is what you're talking about, subdividing yes. the B. Yes. But it, but it, when you can take something like that, that, you know, the counting is, is so pedantic. It's so, okay, one E and, uh, you know, and it's, it, I don't like, but it, it quickly transfers into the feel of yes. it. And once you've internalized that feel of it, then you can count and figure it out when you need to. But most of the time you've got this feel, yeah. this subdivision, well, you know, that, that backbeat, all those things. And it doesn't have to be academic at that point. You've, you know. And and one of the well one of the fun ways to apply it though too is that like so I have always sort of existed I I believe that I am more talented at drumming than I am other musical explorations um I owe that a lot to your class obviously but it was the one that I was the most passionate about I just did every single day right um but but one of the sweet spots that I've been able to just kind of stick around is that I really like playing punk music um it's uh -huh. just very fast it's it's you know you can use the aggression but also i have the formal jazz training or orchestral like you know doing a lot of offbeat stuff coming in at only particular times and it feels like it's a cool flair that i get to add to musical projects that feel otherwise like you know because punk for what it's worth is pretty formulate or it's, it's a formula it all sounds the same but when you sure. get well, it, yeah, I, I'm not a punk expert. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's some punk music I just absolutely love. Uh, and mostly it's the energy. Exactly. It's the you energy know? that like, I love just being I mean, there's an energy to it. It's like, and yeah, and it's not an energy that I like go to for solace. Sure. Or anything or, or an escape. But I can feel it and really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, that people do that. That's their escape. Yeah. You know, um, you know, mine's in a different beat or feel, but but it's you know, I mean, when I was growing up, I I wasn't really big in rock and roll, and and sometimes I would just say I'm just not that angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder where you were during because you were coming up during Beatlemania or post. Oh yeah, like did, was that relevant to you, or was it just like it was just a thing that was happening peripherally? It wasn't what I was listening to, other than that it was just prevalent yeah um i was listening to old 30s and 40s jazz and dixieland and stuff i mean um i was listening to all sorts of things mm -hmm. but you know from like i said henry mancini to you know um george gershwin you know cuban overture i mean i, I love jazz influenced classical music um so yeah, I was I was definitely li musically living outside of the of my era. I actually um, I actually have a little and, and note about that. In that you seem like you were the counterculture. You were part of the counterculture counterculture movement. <laughs> in that you know the the Beatles pop was like you know it was the rebellion. It was the youthful rebellion. Everybody was having their right. moment musically. 
And there was, it, the acknowledgement is that there's two camps there. It's the people who love the Beatles and the people who hate the Beatles. And, right. But socially. I love the Beatles. I wasn't, I mean, even then I did. I wasn't like a big Rolling Stones fan. Uh, Cream, you know, the, those, you know, Eric Clapton, those bands. I was familiar with them. We played bad arrangements of them in jazz band when I was in high school. They called it stage band then. Um, but it wasn't until I got to college that I, well, I mean, I became more aware of, more in tune with what was happening at the time, you know, Jethro Tull, or, you know, it's like, okay, I, I like this. But also I had people that I lived with in the dorm and then my friends who were, we were really got into old blues, Chicago blues, you know, Lightning Hopkins, Buddy, Buddy Guy, Muddy Waters, and we would go see them. They would come to East Lansing and like for a week and we'd go like every night, I mean, and sit in the front row. And, and uh, so, yeah, I've always been kind of out of sync with what's, what's happening musically. At this point during the podcast, I experienced some technical difficulties. I stepped away for a second to fix my camera and Frank, always the entertainer, stepped in to save the day. So yeah, being in sync with your generation. Uh, yes. You know, for me, that that's always been a challenge at some level. Um, now, to know, what like, the people my age that all grew up with Tom Petty. Um, sure. You know, I I never really listened to him. I did go to a Tom Petty concert once with Bob Dylan because a bunch of people up here went, and they I said, yeah, I'll go see that. All right. Um, I went to Jethro Tull concert on Michigan State one time. I loved it, um, but but it was not something that I sought out. You know, I was never a deadhead. I'm not a jam band guy. All right. Uh, to me, so it's- now, To what degree did you, and not, not to put you too much on the spot, but to what degree did you align yourself with the hippie culture? Like, you know- I, I, never, uh, I, ne I never really liked the term. I always felt like, I didn't, I never self-identified as that. I was called that, Yeah. but I didn't like it because uh, most of the time I thought it was- It's derogatory at the time, especially. It had a derogatory, oh, you're aimless, you don't. But I was very much into the back to the land movement uh, at the time, which was very hippie-ish. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so yeah, sustainability and, and things like that, being self-reliant, you know, I was really into all those things. Um, well, but, even if you, you know, apply it, sorry to keep interrupting, but if you apply it musically, I, I think there was this, you know, because this is also the the war on drugs eras as well, where like music itself is sort of its own counterculture movement. The fact that louder music was 
crossing the stage or that just kids were getting more interested in aggressive uh, uh, anti-government or anti-authority music. Well, um, music, I mean, it's always been at the the front of most cultural revolutions. Right, I mean, right. If not the front, the instigator. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, uh, it, it's a voice. I mean, you look at most um, periods of unrest, there's always a cohesiveness of music that brings people together during them. You know, if, if um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think music follows, uh, tags along. I think it's, it's part of the first wave. Sure. Um, you know, so, and that you could say that throughout history. I mean, back through the romantic and classical periods and things, there were always people that were, were pushing the boundary. Um, so now yeah. as I've gotten older, I've found that like, I know what I like. I know the music I like to listen to. I do hear new artists from time to time, but I'll put on the same few albums, you know, or listen to the same stuff throughout the week. Are there any artists in particular that have popped up over the last five to 10 years that you've been like, wow, this is something I'm probably going to engage with for a long time? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't search out new music very much, mm -hmm. which, which is, uh, which is bad. Um, it happens though. It, well, it just happens. I mean, I hear enough. Mostly I see people at festivals and, and, because live music to me is sort of like what it's about. Um, I'll see people that'll just blow my mind. Mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of great music, a lot of great singer songwriters that I love. Um, many of them Michigan people. I mean, I, I follow the Michigan music scene pretty well. And I mean, we have a very special music scene here um, of people your age. Um, and mine. I mean, there's, there's cross generation, which is very tight. And I think it's pretty unique in terms of, you know, places around the country. I mean, every place says, oh, we got a unique music scene. And they do. Uh, Michigan has a pretty special one. And I hear that from people around the country, too, that says, you guys got yeah. something going on up there. It's I just mean, the isolation of this place. We're surrounded yeah. by bodies of water. We're all. <laughs> there's, there's part of that, I say, because you don't pass through Michigan. Right. If you come here, you've. It was an intentional thing. Yep. I was reading an article this morning that was that just said, you know, why so much great music came out of Detroit was because of the education system. Back in, you know, Motown days and stuff, they had an amazing music education program in the in the public schools. Um, I, I know a number of people who were products of it, Jack White and my friend Dominic, who's Jack's bass player. Um, you know Ralph, Jack White's bass player? I do. As in, like, White Stripes Jack White? Yes. No kidding. Dominic, yeah. Wow, all right. Yeah. No, I'll be, ha I'll be having Christmas with him. Um, <laughs> well, he married Rachel Davis, who lives in Cadillac. It's just, this is, again, sort of what I mean, though, that, like, I don't think you realize that the, like, oh, yeah, it's just some dude I know, or just, yeah, I had just this random experience. There are a lot of people who see that as, like, Frank Youngman is, like, well, now, a you rock know, star. And, and, and no, see, and I, I don't feel that. I don't hear it. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 no, I really, I truly don't feel that. And I'm glad I don't. No, uh, you shouldn't. You should not feel that. I mean, I, it's just, like, That's yeah, where ego comes in. But Right, right. And, and I, I will say one of the greatest, I played in a band, the Lost World String Band, for 35 years. And we had a lot of success in terms of 
doing what we wanted to do where we wanted to do it. Uh, we toured around and stuff, but, and there's clips on YouTube or something. And one of the best things I ever read on there, and, and I never, I never go to it. Someone sent it to me. They said, here, look at this comment about your band. And I thought it was the highest compliment I've ever received as, as a band. As they said, this is the most egoless band I've ever known. Great. And I thought, I'll take that. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's not to say, I mean, I've always said anybody who said there's no ego involved in it is not being honest. You Thank know. you. No, I, I mean, I'm very, you know, I, I recognize that. I mean, because most musicians just want affirmation. You know, they that's, I talk about that on a, a, every single episode. Like, I try to approach with my guest that whatever we're talking about, like, there needs to be a healthy amount or a healthy balance of like, yes, we're talking about this because we care about what we're talking about. This conversation is particularly relevant to other people. But I'm not going to lie and say I'm not a little bit narcissistic. I just want people to hear my voice. Sure. You oh, know, yeah. Like, no, I, it's, I, it's I, and I think that's important to accept as long as that's just not driving the bus. You know? Right. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the insecurity that most musicians feel and, and, and creates anxiety is if they're worried they're going to be irrelevant someday. Yeah. You know, I just want to remain relevant in some way, you know, whether I'm teaching or playing or, you know, supporting someone musically. Um, like when I play bass, I mean, my job is to make them feel good. It's not about me. I just want them to sound great. And, and if I can help them do that, you know, then I've succeeded and I feel really good about that. Um, but no, there's always ego involved. I mean, it's, it's so, uh, um, unless teaching is not the answer throughout all the musical adventures, endeavors, projects, groups bands that you've been a part of where do you think that you have felt the most personal validation like where do you feel like th th this particular medium allowed you to express yourself the most uh that's that's a good besides teaching well uh, uh, a couple different bands that i played the, the one band that i mentioned the lost world string band i mean it was it was just a wonderfully engaging creative outlet that I mean we did some wacky stuff 30 years you said right yeah 35 years I think some crazy things that were just you know to me it's like when I go see a see music I want to feel like what's done that I'm seeing is the only time it's been done because it's happening now mm -hmm. and my energy in the audience is part of their performance. You know, it's, it's, it's not like they're up there trying to regurgitate note for note what they worked on Thursday night at rehearsal. Thursday night at rehearsal, they got the tune, they, they know what we're doing, and now let's go out and see what happens and what can happen that's totally unexpected that just like, and someone who was there went, man, that was, that happened tonight and I feel part of something special because I know that didn't happen last week and it's not going to happen next week. It was, you know, it's like a, a friend of mine, you know, used to say, he says, what goes down stays down. You know, it, whatever energy you get back, whatever thing you play off of, whether it's your bandmate or an audience, you put it out there, you respond mm -hmm. and, 
and what goes down stays down. I mean, it's like no, no sorries, you know. Um, it, it's what I felt at the time. I've, I've got a band now that plays once a year. I was just going to – I'm so glad that you brought it up. <laughs> uh, called the Frank Youngman All-Stars. Uh-huh. And, and there's a couple rules in the band. Uh, and, and the first rule is if you ask when rehearsal is, you're out of the band. <laughs> okay. So because it's a one-shot deal – uh, it's one set we do every year at Harvest Gathering, and and the other rule is no sorries. What okay. goes down stays down. You're okay. an all star. We're you know, if someone does something, we try to respond. If wherever it goes, you know that that's a that that is so directly tied the way that now I have unfortunately never seen you play with that group live. Although I have. I want to pick up on this Harvest Gathering thing at, at, after this point because I have a lot of friends who have seen you at Harvest. Um, under particular circumstances, I think it's easy to... <laughs> I, have, to... I have seen some of those people. And, <laughs> but okay, this is the bridge we're crossing. That... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But I, I just mean that attitude that you have about like, no, 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 listen, you're here. We play together. What happens, happens. You brought that especially to jazz band class um, where... Which I, let's let's kind of talk about that a little bit real fast because I didn't necessarily uh, bring it up when I wanted to. Jazz band class shouldn't have been called jazz band class. It well, was I, whatever. I changed, I changed right. the name of it. You're right. It was um uh uh. It wasn't experimental arts. It was uh. It was the experimental art ensemble. That's uh, that's what it was. Okay, okay. Right. And um, I realized I realized early on doing that that because one year I had like three guitar players and. Mm -hmm we were doing like reggae stuff yep. and, and I thought this isn't jazz and that's okay. And it was so much more freeing. I mean, to me, when I took the band class, uh, took over that, that was the least accountable thing I could be doing. You know, it's like, no one's checking off to make sure I taught, right. you know, how to play these triplets. As long as I had butts in the seats, yep. I was doing the, the community service and, and we were playing good music. Yep. You know, that we were in our concerts and stuff. We, we performed well uh, and played well. I felt like they're going to leave me alone. You know, I'm going to be able to do what I can do, what I want to do. And so the jazz band, that's when I changed the name, the Experimental Art Ensemble, because every year it was a different ensemble of kids. Was that a class while you were, or did, you, did it start with you as a teacher, the jazz band class? Um... No, I started it, I think. Yeah, cool. I don't think there was a jazz band before that. Cool. Not that I ever remember. Well, yeah, then, so to, to pick up on I that, think, like... I think the different the, the previous teacher had a choir class, I think. Oh, okay. Um, Which I think Lake City has again, correct? Or they had it I, for a minute? They did. It, it comes and goes. I don't know what's going on now. Mm -hmm. There might be. I don't know. Yeah. I, I actually taught it for a year, but... I like singing, but I didn't like teaching choir. So sure, I bet. Yeah. But that that class in general, I, I will say just for for the audience' sake, um, you can look up the uh, cover. I, I think it's um, "Walk Off the Earth." I think that was the band. They did a cover of "Somebody I Used to Know" by okay. Gautier, but all of the band does it on one guitar. So one that. person's plucking here, one person's strumming oh, here, yeah. one person's holding the frets. And part of our jazz band performance was we did that. We did it. Like, no, I've as, got pictures somewhere. Of, I yeah. would love to see those because that was Alex, so I think Alex cool. was in that class and Brendan and... Yep. Um, yeah. And Ruth, Ethan, me, 
Yeah, um, Ruth, that's right. Was, uh, yeah, Ethan had to have been. And that was great. I mean, we did, we did that really well. It was so cool. And like, you just, where are you going to get the freedom to do something like yeah. that? Other than Frank Youngman's jazz band class. Like, well, yeah, to, to me, it was like, because we never, I, I decided early on we were going to come to that strictly through listening. Yeah, you know, and it was great. We weren't going to, like, okay, here we are. Let's look around. What instruments do we have? What kind of band can we be? Mm-hmm. Not like, here's a bunch of music. Let's start playing this music. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started listening to a lot of stuff and trying to figure out how we could, what would fit our instrumentation. I think those were the years we were listening to a lot of Rico Rodriguez. Rico Rodriguez, we did... Um, Man from uh, Warica. What is yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what was the... Um... Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. And then there was... um. Uh, gosh, it was... There was like a real swingy like... Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm never going to be... Remember. That's all right. That's all right. We did so many. But that just that experience alone, A, it like... It diversifies your palate a lot, too. It's like because everybody was able to bring in a little bit of their own flair. And even if we didn't perform it, you were always like, you know, the first five, ten minutes of class, it's like we you'd walk in and we'd be riffing. Like we'd just be like playing something. And then you'd come in and just riff with us. Like you'd be because you'd be coming from the middle school over to the jazz band class. So the first, yeah, five, 10 minutes, we were just alone waiting for- Oh, I know, no, it was, it was crazy, but I trusted you and the school trusted you and they knew I, you know, that that's how that schedule worked. And you guys were always doing something when I came in and sometimes you were just talking, you know, because something had happened or people were feeling a certain way. And I, I always loved that sometimes I'd just come in and sit down with you and we'd just talk. Yes, I remember so many band classes where you would hop in or jazz band class, you would hop in to just either a heavy conversation or just a conversation in general. And yes, although if we look at it technically, we should have then stopped, let's go to class. Yeah. But oh yeah. It was ne- it was never like, all right, class open to book, whatever, or open to page, whatever. It was what do we all feel today and right. how can we turn that into something we do together? Right. And now the together can be, let's make music together. Let's learn something right. together. Or it can right. be, let's just talk and figure this out. Right. And, right. and I just, again, that's very, that is so important to kids at such a fundamentally like formative time in their life. And yeah, no, just, that was, that was important to me. There was times I felt guilty of like, oh, geez, we should be doing. And then I would think, no, and, and there was a specialness about that because it was a smaller class. Um, our accountability was very low in terms mm-hmm. of all we needed to do was play two or three tunes at a concert and that's yeah. two months away. Yeah. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. Let's talk, yeah. let's play, let's listen. Uh, let's get bigger ears so we can hear what we're, you know, listen to things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, listening. And I think a lot of it, learning how to listen to music differently translates to learning how to listen to people differently. Yes. You know, I, I, I think there's a really high correlation there. Um, because yeah, you're learning to listen and so much of us, so many of us are only listening so we can respond instead of listening to hear where David Mund is today, Right. you know? Um, yeah. So no, I love that class. It was, I have some of my fondest memories there. I'll, I'll shoot you some pictures sometime. Please, please do. Yeah. And 
So one of the one of the hardest things that I'm learning about this podcast so far is that I, it's hard for me to figure out how to end it. Uh, I, I so there's of course there's of course a phase out, but because because you get it, I think it's important to have a conversation built around how you decided that it was time to retire, or maybe maybe if it's if it's less personal in that. You know, there can be some per- extenuating personal circumstances around it. It could be a yeah. lot to do with disclosure, no, a lot of things. But my my more framed question is: How, once you've decided that this era is over, do you proceed? Like, how do you then, after you've made the decision that I'm done with this, how do you find your next thing? That wasn't really hard for me. Um... In terms of deciding when to, I was just getting tired. It's just physically a demanding job, mm-hmm. um, and I was I'm getting I'm getting older, you know. And it's like I have a lot I have a lot of interests. There's a lot of things I want to do or you know like to do. I keep bees. I I do cons- you know woodworking. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sound gardens. You know. I mean, I, I, I'm still curious enough. You that do if some. I phenomenal so, sorry phenomenal long exposure photography let's not uh yeah right i mean i i'm just i want to be able to go out at midnight and do these goofy photography things i love them um and i i realized you know that the the one thing the one mistake we all think the one mistake we all make is that we think we have time mm-hmm. you know um the, oh yeah, they'll, they'll be there forever. Well, no, it's not. It's it's you know I I'm I'm aging, and I wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted to spend more time doing things I wanted to do. I wanted to just get up and sit and quietly read for a while in the morning instead of yeah. you know I'm not a morning person. Um, so when I retired, it was easy. I mean, I got a million jobs here. I'm generally it's hard for me to settle myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like. As soon as I'm done with you, I'm probably going to go out and cut some wood. Um, you know, I built a sauna last year because I love saunas. Um, cool. You know, so it, I wasn't worried. And some people I, I, I see where, because they've tied everything into this, um, I wanted to play more music. I still teach, um, you know, teach at camps. I've had some private students on Zoom type of teaching for a while. Okay. Um yeah, so the, so little time, so much to do, you know. Um, and I just, I thought I gave this 35 years. That's a good run, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the hesitancy was just financially, whether am I going to be able to make it? Because that, that first eight years in the Catholic school didn't help me any. I got uh, no retirement sure. in that. So, yeah. you know, and finally my wife one day, I came home and she said, you know, we can do this. I've been crunching numbers and I think we can do it, you know. And I said, well, I'll hmm. keep working. So. I'll have some income coming in and yeah, it was hard. Um, I, I, I remember the last year, how hard it was to tell kids, you know, I'm done. Um, I felt they all respected it, but, but it was really hard for me because I felt like I was abandoning them. You know, I, I, I felt a responsibility and, and I mean, especially younger ones, kids who had just signed up for band and, I'll, I'll tell you this real quickly, and this is, 
kind of ties back to that ego thing in an interesting way. When I took over this job, I called a buddy of mine <clears throat> who was a band director. I hadn't talked to him in 20 some years, but we went to music school together and he had risen to the top of the band world in Michigan. I mean, he was like one of the big band directors in Michigan. Great guy. I still keep in touch with him. I called him and I said, Mike, I said, you'll never guess what I'm doing. I said, they just asked me to be the band director here. And I got no clue what to do, really. I mean, I, I can make music and I think I can learn this. I mean, I was really ignorant and naive in terms of how little I knew uh, in terms of that gig. But, and he said, well, yeah, there's, there's things you're going to, you know, you ought to do this and you ought to learn the repertoire. He said, but the most important advice he gave me was this. And his name was Mike Kaufman and I'll say it, it, it it's fine. He taught in Grand Ledge and he said, kids don't sign up for band in Grand Ledge. He said, they sign up for Mike Kaufman. Hmm. And, and he says, that's not an ego thing. He said, but when you got a kid in fifth or sixth grade and they're going to decide whether they're going to sign up for band, they're looking at someone that they've seen around school, mm -hmm. that they've heard from other kids, and they're going to sign up for seven years with this person. And if the person's a dick, you know, they're not going to sign up, right. you know, so it, it's, it's not like they're signing up for me, but they are, I mean, cause they're, they're buying into like what you're putting out there, you know, it's what? like the, the and, and I came in, in the, I came in in the middle of the year. So that was different, but the, by the next year it was like, okay. And, and those words ring in my mind a lot. You know, when I see band directors struggling or teachers struggling, it gets back to that connection. If you, if you don't have a connection and a relationship, nobody wants to be there, right. you know? Um, and so I, I always remember that advice and it really hung with me. It's like how important my relationship is with every student there. Do they want to enter into this relationship with me? You know, I mean, I can say, oh, it's about the band, but, and it is, but you know, do now, I want to hang out with this guy or not for seven years? One of the things that Zach and I talked about on our episode, which I think you said that you listened to it, right? I did. I listened uh, to the whole thing. I loved it. I have to say, I loved it. I, 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 I the whole time. The, the, one of the things that we were trying to remember was, are you the one who's sitting with kids to test out their instruments? Like oh, in fifth grade? Um, I did some, of, I did some years and some years I didn't. Marshall used to come down and do it. Okay. Uh, so it was Marshall. Yeah, it was Marshall. I did a few years in the middle there, but then I, and some years I did it with the Marshall rep. I kind of helped him, but no, for the most part, they did it. I think I, see, I have this visceral memory. Now, maybe, maybe it's just me making it up in my brain or maybe it is true, but I, I have this visceral memory of you sitting across from me, like seeing if I can tap things out. Right. Like, and that, that may have been the years when I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we just right. couldn't remember who was who was doing what. No, I think but, I probably I, I may have done it in a few years in the middle, but. So my my last question now that you have we've run the gambit of your teaching, your college, your performance, and your retirement. Oh, we got um, so much more we could talk about, oh, David. We and could do it I, for real, yes, I would absolutely love to have you back. I'm, I'm sort of down I'm the road. Of I am sort of annoyed with myself for pre-establishing this. Like it can't be longer than an hour and a half. 
be so it could be i want i just want it to be palatable for a wide audience and you know people right, can yeah, it for a while. we've been going at it for a while <laughs> yeah so i guess i guess my last question um all the things aside that of course you you still have this life to live there are things that you want to do but do you feel like you have accomplished the things in your life that would make you feel as though you are fulfilled it's a good question uh, yeah the accomplished the word accomplished doesn't really resonate with me sure um i mean i'm not going to say well i've accomplished that um I've done that or I've, you know, I, I engaged in that. And did I do it with all the right reasons in an open heart and, a, and, and the right intentions? Uh, I, I can definitely, I mean, if I heard that I was going to die tomorrow, you know, and I had 24 hours to reflect, I'd feel good about it. I mean, not, not about dying, of course. Sure. Um, but like, no, I, think I lived that life pretty fully, you know, I, I feel good about having connected with people that I've been honest and loving. Um, and I think I can say that I've been joyous. I've been curious. I've let other people in my curiosity. Um, I've, I've engaged in other people's curiosity. I mean, I'll follow someone down a rabbit hole, you know, of, of something that they want to do just because the relationship, if it connects with them. So no, I, I, like I said, the, the word accomplished, I've engaged in life, I think in a, in a way that I can feel good about. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't, uh, could always go with regrets. Oh, I wish I'd have been more Bad. present in that time or whatever, but all in all, no, I, I'm, I, I'm living fully as I can. That's good know. to hear. Yeah, no. Frank, I love you to death. And I miss well, you David, so much. I have to, I have to say, I, I love you to death too. And I, I, it's been so wonderful to see you through school and after school. And I don't see you all that much. I followed, you know, when you went to New York and came back and various things you've tried. And, and, and I, I think I told you one time when you were struggling in school, um, I, you, you're really brilliant. I mean, you really have a, a brilliant mind, a, a, a big heart. And, and you were struggling. And I said, David, you're not stupid. You're just lazy. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, first of all, I remember you saying that verbatim and it's, it was so true. <laughs> and, it was, and it was true. And, and I don't think you were lazy because you're a really hard worker. But you were distracted. I mean, yeah. it was it, it it came across as laziness. Yeah, you know, it's like you're just not doing the work, David. You yeah. know, and, and and there's not much else I can say about that. You know, I love you. You then I loved you. I loved you now. Love you now. But but you just it, but there was things getting in the way of your curiosity. You know, and it felt like my job is like first of all because at the time I think you were feeling I'm just stupid. Because oh, yeah. you were getting those messages all the time. You know, your grades weren't good. Your parents were, you know, wonderful folks. But, you know, they're they're yep. harping on you. Yep. Different people are harping on you. You're not meeting someone's expectations. And I think that's one of the challenges. I, I just wanted to help you get that stuff out of the way so you could meet your own expectations. 
and and do the work you needed to. I mean, you work hard, man. I mean, it's like, and you're creative and you're, you're, you're going, you're curious. And I think you've gotten a lot of the things that were in the way out of the way. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they're still there and there's, there's, we all had those struggles, but you're not letting them stop you. Sure. And I, I so appreciated, uh, you doing this and asking me and, uh, yeah, I just hope you keep doing I, it. And... For a little feather in the cap or cherry on the, on the top, just it, those two truths are fundamentally related to each other that I have grown significantly that I can recognize in myself. And there were a lot of these things that held me back. And I mean, this podcast is quite literally the ADH deep dive. So the distractive nature of what I was like as a kid is no surprise to see that it's come full circle into podcast. However, that truth collides with it would not have been possible had I not had a teacher or a friend who cared for me on such a personal level as Aww. much as you did. So I really do Thank love you, you and I appreciate everything that you've done for me. And I do want to have you back. And maybe even though we didn't talk about the crazy new age hippies who trip their balls off and watch you at Harvest Gathering, maybe one day I'll see that band live uh, and I'll get to see you on stage again. Yeah, next year. Yeah. Thank you so much, Frank. Um, Thank you, buddy. I will send you some teasers whenever they're cut. Um, but for now, I'm going to I'm gonna cut the podcast and I'll, I'll be in touch with you soon, buddy. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, See Bye. ya.